As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Alison Rudd, your host in place of Gab Marcotti, who's on an Italian refresher course. But the good news is that we have three splendid guests in the form of Oliver Kay, James Scowcroft and Julian Laurent. Today we'll be talking about FA Cup magic, mystery and mayhem. And we will debate just which Premier League club is facing the biggest crisis. But we start at Deepdale, where Arsenal did that fight back thing again. Towards Giroud, it's down to Perez with the back heel and Giroud! And the Frenchman has done it again. Preston North End outplayed Arsenal, took the lead, should have scored more, but allowed Ramsey to equalise. And then that man, Olivier Giroud, scored his fourth goal in four games to seal the win. I wonder, was this an unacceptable Arsenal performance, given they were outplayed by Bournemouth four days earlier? Or should we hail their strength of character? Ollie Kay, you were at Deepdale. Were you, did you leave feeling, wow, I'm seeing a really tough Arsenal who fight back from all sorts of um, setbacks? Or did you see an Arsenal that you were surprisingly uh, spineless two halves in two games? Well, I think I think you get both with us. I, I think if you look at them in recent years, there have been moments where they've where they you know they've often given themselves a lot to do, left themselves leading you know needing snookers, whether it's in individual individual matches or to qualify for the next round of Champions League or to um, or, or or to get into the top four of the, of the Premier League, and they just seem to be at their best when the pressure is really on, but 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 not in a way that seems to help them achieve their, their very biggest goals. It's, it's it's a bit of a flaw in their makeup that, that, that they don't seem very often to just do the you know, do the business of making winning matches look easy. It's it's, it's a, a a good start and then they tail off like they did at Everton and Man City or it's or it's a disastrous start and, and, and then a miraculous fight back. And it's not just the last two games Bournemouth and Preston, it's the, the, you know, Ludogorets and Swansea and Southampton and other teams, Burnley in, in, in the season. It's, it's so many last-minute goals. Everything seems so last-ditch with with Arsenal. Whether it's um, goals at one end or the other, it's probably uh, slightly worrying and not especially nerve-wracking for their fans. Julian, I mean, you see a lot of Arsenal. I mean, do you do you, do you um, agree with Ollie that a club can have this inherent characteristic? That I mean. Ollie seems to be implying this is who Arsenal are now. They they have to yeah. put their fans through the mill this way. Yeah, I, th- I think they, they they have games where they don't really fancy it and they don't really start the way they should. And I think they are, I don't think it's complacency. I think it is a bit of choosing their games at times. And I think the Bournemouth game certainly felt like this. I thought on Saturday it felt like that as well. And you could tell, I don't know, I thought even at warm-up, I could see like, well... It's going to be a tough start because they were not even at warm up. You could tell they were not that ready. What? For what, it. what? What about the warm up? What? I, I think he likes intensity at times, and you see, I was at the um, the West Brom game, and I thought exactly the same. And I thought they started slowly again, and I do think that when they start slowly, and and when they 
it's either from the start, like against the Chelsea game, for example, that they won three. It's either from the start they're there straight away, they put pressure, their passing is good, it's all slick, there's a lot of movement, and then it would be like that for most of the game. Or if they start slow slowly, they start losing the balls, poor passing, it's all a bit slow. The other the other team, in fairness, like 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 Preston, put a lot of uh, aggression, they're aggressive more than Arsenal. And, and you could see it happening and then you know that they're going to have a poor first half and then it will take far more from them in the second half to come back and Bournemouth was exactly like that as well. James, is this, is, do you agree, first of all, and is this why Arsenal just aren't going to, to win the league? Because you can't afford to be that flaky too often. No, you can't afford to be that flaky as well because you're you know coming from behind, you're not going to do it every week. There's going to be times where you're going to come unstuck. I, I actually think... You know, I was at Millwall Bournemouth um, at the weekend and I saw a, a Bournemouth side just totally underestimate Millwall. And I, and I think there's a lot of Premier League clubs now. Nobody takes it seriously, so you can't expect the players to go out full of tempo, full of enthusiasm, on the front foot from the start. And, you know, they've probably got away with it, really. And, and I think as a lot of these clubs, Arsenal Wenger, the last thing you would have wanted is a replay. You know, and if you look over the years, you know they have come and stuck a little bit. I can remember an Arsenal side a few years ago, drawing with Leighton Orient and getting a replay back at the Emirates, and there's there's been other games as well. So I just think it's it's a trend coming. It's great coming back and and scoring last minute winners. That there's there's no better feeling, but there's there's only so many times you can do that. Uh, Ollie, I mean the good news for Arsenal is that Giroud almost looks like a new signing. He was he was captain um, at Deepdale. Are, are you are you a fan? I am a fan. I'm not, you know, I'm not a, a worshipper or anything like that. It's, it's. Um, I mean, the strange thing about Drew, you look at the type of player he is—a a, a, you know, a target man, centre forward who, who scores goals when the ball is, is is put in the right places for him. And you would think he would be a really sort of steady goal scorer, sort of steady twenty-five goal a season man, because he's not outstanding. He's not. He's not sensational, but he's very competent. He's all round game, but. He does seem to be one of these real confidence players, which is rare for a striker of that type. I would say maybe James would 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 disagree, but it, it, you would expect him to be a much steadier player rather than the player he is, which is which is blowing hot and cold a lot of the time. And you know when he when he's hot, when he's scoring goals, he, look, he looks really good as he as he did. Um, yeah, you know, I, I thought he's one of the best better players in the, in, in the first half on on Saturday, um, and obviously came up with a big moment again in in, in the second. Has, has Giroud turned a corner, James, do you think? I think he has, yeah, definitely. I think if you look at him now, he's a pivotal part of, of Arsenal's squad, isn't he? Where, where would they be without him? Yeah. And and he he obviously is a, a confidence player. And, and what I would say, Ollie, is a lot of centre-forwards are confidence players. Mm. You, you get judged on goals and I always sort of do, you're either the hero or the villain. If you're scoring, you're the hero. Uh, if you're not, people are, you know, why is he playing? You know, get him out and... And I think that happens to every centre forward. Goals don't really come in one every other game or one in three. They come in sort of streaks, really. So it's part. I think probably he's become mentally stronger to to deal with. If he doesn't score, or hasn't played a good game, he can go into the next game focused, and and that's the key to consistency, really. Julian, go on, give us the insight, the French insight. Oh, what makes him tick? No, I, th- I think he had a really tough start of the season uh, because he was not playing, he was a bit injured and, and Alexis Sanchez was doing so well in that centre-forward position that there was no room for him. But I think he never he never gave up and he's, you know, he's someone who's 
had to never give up because it was never easy for him. He, he never really went, he, he didn't follow the normal path of you go to an academy, you make your debut at 18 or 19 and then you play in the first team and then you become so good that you, you move to a bigger club and a bigger club and then you, you know, it, it was never like that for him. He had to play in lower leagues, he had to struggle and then finally in a really later stage of his career, things finally happened for him and, and that's where he is now and I think he's that's why he's so strong. I think he's going to sign a new contract for the club, which he deserves. I really believe he deserves because whether you think Alexis Sanchez is a better striker, I've got no, no issue with that. But I think you do need an Olivier Giroud in your team, whether you're Arsenal or, or anyone else, because he brings you something different. You know, I, I don't think with without him, they would have come back the way they did against Bournemouth. Without him, they wouldn't have scored that goal he did against West Brom, for example, a late header like that when it's hard to, to score. And, and same and same on Saturday. And, and I he think... He scored loads of key goals. The, the equaliser yeah, at Old Trafford. No, is... Uh, but again, if you play on his strength, it's always the same. If you expect him to play like Alexis does or like, I don't know, Luis Suarez does, it's not going to work. If you play on his strength and you pull, you know, you 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 you, you put good crosses in like Old Trafford, uh, where where his link of play can be useful to your team and you benefit from it, like he did at Bournemouth, like he did against um, Preston on that second goal, which is you know it's, it's sort of a very good move with him involved from start and then with the finish, or that. Um, you know, back in volley or, or whatever against Palace as well, where he's there from the start and he helps he helps the team going forward. Then if you play on his strength, I think he's a really good asset to have in your squad. Whether he's a starter or not, he's a very good asset to have. But if you you know if you play not on his strength, then he can look like he's a passenger in, in the performance. But to be fair, Julian, Arsene Wenger's always coached and taught his his, his wide players to come inside, haven't they? That, that's no yeah. good. If you're if you're a centre oh, yeah. forward and a wide player gets a ball, you want him to deliver the ball. You know, wherever it is, just just put it in an area so you can try and attack the ball. But if you're coming inside and it's an extra pass, you, you eventually get caught on your heels. And that's why that's why I think he's doing very well considering the style of football that Arsenal are playing. How did it, how did the um, scorpion kick go down in France? Did it? Oh, great, yeah. It was fantastic. But I think it was, it was, what I liked the most about it is afterwards he said, listen, it's all down to luck. It's nothing. I don't try, uh, you know, I don't try uh, training. I don't try. It was just there. I tried it. It went in. But, and I like the fact that he was humble like that. I, um, I listened to the first half on the radio and the only name I heard over and over again was Aidan McGeady's name. And it may, then I watched it later and I thought, is, it, is this a, a player who is caught because he's too good for the championship but not good enough for the Premier League? Aidan McGeady quite a, quite a bit during his career, obviously at Celtic and then he went to Russia and Everton. And I, I've always thought watching mostly, mostly in highlights, I always, I always think he's a fantastically gifted player. And one of these, you know, Celtic also had you know, Sean Maloney, similar, Paddy McCourt, some of these sort of really um, sort of enigmatic flair players who, who would play wide and just dance through defenders. He's one of those. He's, he's brilliant on his day. And he, and he was brilliant on the first half on um, in the first half on Saturday. He, he just seems to be a player who, I, from what I've heard about him in, in his career, and probably the other two as well, that um, it's not a case of not being good enough for, for, for that level. It's more a case of probably not being consistent enough to to, to do it every week. He's probably a guy who has, you know, in four games he'll probably have one exceptional one, one good one, one mediocre one, and one terrible one. And, and I don't think teams at, at the top level probably want that level of inconsistency. But he's, he's a really, really talented player. And he, he, 
gave the poor young Arsenal fullback a, a real run around in the first half. Oli, do you think his move to Spartak Moscow held him back a little bit? Probably wasn't. Uh, I'm sure financially it was uh, beneficial for him, but. You know, look at it now. He was 24 when he went to Spartak. He was there for four years, really. So it's a big part of your your, your career, 24 to 28, to, to go off the radar yeah. as such, really, where you, you need to be playing week in, week out and and just just becoming a better player by experience. No, no, I'm, I'm told he did all right over there, but, but, but he was desperate to... To come to come back to Britain when, when the opportunity came, a uh, West Brom or somewhere where yeah. you know uh, uh, where he could have got regular football. I'm sure he would yeah. have been better because if you look at it, he's played 86 times yeah. for for Ireland. You know that, that's yeah. well, he played he played in the he played in the Champions League and and, and stuff like that. You know he, 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 had, he was playing at a good level, but you know would he prefer? It's probably not the, the, the Oscar conversation we had on here a few weeks ago about him going to China. And, and, 25 or whatever age he is and to to lead, to lose that sort of big main chunk of your career the peak years of your career um, to go to um, to Russia and I'm not saying it's a bad league but it's but it's 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 off the radar as you say in terms of you know, his homeland it's um it's it's difficult it doesn't seem to have done wonders for his, his long-term development but he will always be that kind of player who will do, be able to do it on his on his day is he in the right place now though it, it it looked like it. I mean, he looks like he's you know sort of bigger fish in a small pond. I mean, that that um, that Preston team worked incredibly, incredibly hard on on Saturday, and and he, he you know he was probably the one sort of luxury player in the team. But if that's how they play every week, then um, then yeah, that, that, that's that's definitely a great team for him to be in because he, he's got so much freedom to to do his thing. But it's um, I I, I mean I, I know. Preston are, are a decent championship team, but I, I think they played well above themselves in that first half on Saturday. And credit to them for doing that. But um, I was just slightly mystified that all Arsenal players were saying they were surprised by it because what do you expect? We're not going to cover every single other game, but three that are worth discussing are Spurs, who took on Aston Villa. Liverpool took on Plymouth and Millwall faced Bournemouth. There were nine changes for Spurs, ten changes for Liverpool and eleven changes for Bournemouth, which I think probably gives us some sort of mathematical conundrum. Spurs managed to win by making changes within changes. Liverpool made too many changes and could not break through and Bournemouth completely collapsed. It, the, 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 the bit about changes I think is interesting is that Jurgen Klopp spoke talked a better game than Eddie Howe when it came to explaining the changes because um, Eddie Howe, as far as I could see, didn't even seem to get that if you make 11 changes, that means a brand new team and they've got to have played together. They've got to know each other. Whereas Klopp got it and said, look, they, th- these guys have played together. Yes, I'm making 10 changes, but these guys know each other and they are a team and they're worth persevering with. Um, do you, James, do you, th- do, you, do you see my point? I mean, it seemed to me... Eddie Howe just took a punt, took a risk, and hadn't thought it through. Well, only Eddie Howe knows the answer to that. I, I was actually at the game, and they were so far off the pace, Bournemouth. You, you could, you know, Neil Harris said afterwards, Millwall could have won by more, and they, they could have done. They were. It makes a massive difference. All, all these players that are playing reserve under twenty-three football, however you want to label it, it is nowhere near 
the the match tempo, the speed, the preparation, the the, the mental focus to first team football, and for example, the, the Millwall players were just so much quicker, sharper to the ball, hungrier, and they just never got going. The Bournemouth players, and you know, but Bournemouth, well, they only made eleven. I think the the the, the team cost a total of forty four million. So it's not <laughs> this wasn't a lot of young kids. It, this was good players that you know some of them have got good reputations as well. So I, I can see Jurgen Klopp's point. I, I, you know, he's playing a team that does play regular together, and if you match the, the sides up, probably the under twenty three level is the same as as League Two. So. You know, is it is it a shock? Is it a giant killing? You know, probably not. But I think Eddie Howe, especially from 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 Bournemouth, you know, a lot of people have um, laughed at Paul Merson this week for his predictions. But he actually made a good point saying Bournemouth aren't going to go down. They're not going to finish in the top six. Why on earth have they not taken this competition seriously? It, it, it's it's staggering. They haven't got a fixture pile up. They haven't. You know, they're they're in a reasonable run of form. Crystal Palace, who I think they've got a better squad than, than Crystal Palace last season, got within twelve minutes of winning the the, the competition last year. Why? You know, why? Why didn't he take well, it seriously? Well, maybe maybe they don't take it seriously, Ollie, because because Alan Pardew got to the FA Cup final last season, and he still gets sacked when things go slightly wrong for them at club at Premier League level. So may, maybe maybe the, the risk reward isn't there for them. Yeah, I know what you mean, but it's it's you know he didn't get. Because because he got to the cup final, if, if probably well, getting to the cup final saved him. Second. Yeah, yeah. I think if you look at the results of the second half of last season, I think the, the cup run was all that saved them. Now he might he might have had a, an adverse effect in some way on their league form, and, and maybe only the other thing. But I, I totally agree with James. What he's saying about you know mid-table teams. I mean, if you look at the teams at the top six, is the FA Cup their priority? No. Is it their number two priority? Well, probably not. Really, because most of them are in, in, you know, other cups and Europe and and Liverpool in the League Cup, Man United in the League Cup, etc. The bottom six or seven is it their priority? No, but it's probably you know it's it's, it's a, a bonus. But those mid-table teams who aren't going to get aren't going to get into the top six, particularly this season because the gap's so big, they're not going to go down. And yet you look at you look at it, you know this morning Everton out, Stoke out, West Brom out, Bournemouth out, West Ham out. Um, it's it's it, Bernie to Bernie go out. I mean, if they did it for the wind, I didn't notice. It's, um, it's it's those are the teams who should be thinking. Right, we can actually enjoy ourselves, have a cup cup run. And I know Bournemouth and I know Burnley haven't got great squads like like the top, um, you know, the top four, five, six teams do, do. But it's but they don't need to be playing fifty games, sixty games. They need to be playing thirty-eight to. Probably 45. Yeah. Holly, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Do you think the League Cup has slightly overtaken the FA Cup? I do. In, in, if you look at Man United and Liverpool, they're both they're both through. Obviously, and Southampton are, and and, and Hull, and it's 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 not. It probably takes away from the FA Cup slightly when you know. I think the timing of the the League Cup helps the League Cup in that it's it's yeah, also yeah. by February. But the timing of the FA Cup. Is terrible because you go through that that period of what is it, was it sort of five games in a fortnight, yeah. and then the FA Cup right at the end of that, and it's when everybody does genuinely need a rest. Now the FA, if the FA is thinking, what can we do to make to, to, to make the FA Cup you know better and more prioritised? I think changing the the calendar in some way, whether it's with a winter break or not, 
think if, if, there, if it wasn't just this sort of additional game at the end of this gruelling run, I think teams would take it seriously. I know people say, oh, but it has to be the first weekend of January. Well, no, no it doesn't. I, I remember <laughs> a few, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, whenever it was, they played the third game, the third round in December. And I, I can remember playing I myself it myself was it because no, no, it wasn't to do with the United thing? Was it? I think it, I think it was, which is yeah. why, which is why that I then can't work out how it could have been because United pulled out. So why would they have moved it to accommodate United, who they didn't accommodate? Because they went in um, January, didn't they, to the um, yeah to the World it was Championships? Yeah, no, I remember playing for Ipswich against Southampton in December, mm. and it was the middle of December as well. If it, I don't think it was late. Mm. Julian, did, did Liverpool were at home? Did meddling with the team, did making wholesale changes backfire more for the Jurgen Klopp than it did for Eddie Howe in the end? Because Liverpool were at home and now they've got to travel yeah. a long, long way. A long way for a replay that they probably could do without. Uh, I, yeah, and, and I think, but I don't think you can blame Klopp for trying, well, for, for doing that as well, because they're second in the league. It's, it's, it's a tough time, like Oli said, and I agree with, with both boys, that it's, it's a, the timing is wrong. And I don't think you can blame those those managers for making those changes. Eddie Howe said, I made a mistake. I thought this team was good enough to win at Millwall. It wasn't. It's my fault. I take it. And and I can see also James Bond on like, those 11 players for Bournemouth, you know, never played with each other before. Liverpool it was a bit different, although they, they surely didn't play that much at that level, at least, with, you know, all the pressure and expectations and everything. I think the other point is League One is a tough league. Like, like you said, James, Millwall were more hungry, they wanted it more, they were more aggressive because that's how they play every week. Every game is like that in League yeah. One. And I think if the Premier League club who then go to a League One club or even a Championship club are not really ready for that because that's not really, you know, Premier League is intense but it's not, it's not a dog league. It's not like you're not, you know, but do you see what I mean? And if you then go to Midwood and you're not ready to be to win the first ball or the second or even the third or fourth because often against League One team, even championship teams, it goes down to the fourth ball, not just the second ball. Then you get, you, you know, you they walk on you. And Julian, if they start they're... walking on you, their confidence goes high, yours goes down, you head drop, not theirs. Yeah, you're, you're spot on the Bournemouth philosophy, the style of play, just might suit the Premier League. It just did not, did not suit League One because... Every time they got a goal kick, the goalkeeper got it. The two centre half split, sort of, you know, almost level with him. Fullbacks, were, they tried to play out from the back, and every single time Millwall onto it, they yeah. wonder. They, they could have been two 0 up in the first fifteen minutes by winning the ball high up, just yeah. by pressurising and winning second balls. And, and and Bournemouth just couldn't adapt. They couldn't change the way they played. They couldn't. All of a sudden, look, we have to roll our sleeves up here and, and match them, and then try and play our football. And, and they, they couldn't do it. And Arsenal were the same. Arsenal were. I know. I know. Oli was really surprised to hear the players saying that, but they were not ready for that either. And I think if they don't score so early in the second half, Arsenal, they never come back. Full stop. Because they just they were just not ready for for that kind of aggression that lower league teams sometimes offer because they're so used to it in there. The train is now approaching junction at platform. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Own leagues. The, um, there was a, a script that was more uh, likely, I suppose, at Spurs in that, um, yeah, uh, Pochettino made nine changes. Um, <laughs> Vincent Janssen didn't work out. He goes off on the hour mark and Deli Ali comes on. It's it's as if someone is actually writing this. Deli Ali changes changes the game. I mean, are we? This is uh, sort of heroic stuff. He's having an amazing couple of weeks, isn't he, Deli Ali? Oli. I mean, is he is is this going to carry on all season? Is he is he so integral to Spurs and then winning silverware at last? Certainly, you know, an outstanding player for them. But you know, is he is he any more important than than Kane has been over the last few seasons, or Ericsson, or or Alderweireld, or Maurice? I, I mean, he's he's just another really good player that they've got, and and um, you know, you can't if you're playing lining up against Tottenham. I don't think you would plan purely to stop Deli Ali. I don't think he, I don't think stopping Deli Ali means you stop Spurs. So he, but he, he's just a a really good, you know, a really good player in a in a rich vein of form, and it's great to see as a, you know, given, I was going to say as a young Englishman, but I, I'm not a young Englishman. He's a young Englishman, um, <laughs> and, and, and and it is great to see. Uh, James, he's been linked to um, Spain. He's been linked to Barca and Real Madrid. Like they're going to fight for him or something. Is do you see that as realistic? Certainly, is realistic, isn't it? Um, you know, why why wouldn't he be uh, linked? I think if you're a big club like Real Madrid. Even so, Real Madrid more than Barcelona, really. I think he suits Real Madrid a bit more. If you look at the best young players in Europe, he is—he has to be in the top five at the moment. Um, you know, Spurs, Spurs notoriously, I can't, I can't see how they're, they're, they're going to keep hold of him unless they can sort of break, getting into the Champions League every year. You know, they, they eventually need to win the league or, 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 you know, really start competing, which they are, to be fair. You know, the football's a short career. He's only really going to get 10, 12 years at the very, very peak if he's lucky. So the, the kid himself will think, you know, at some stage, I want to go and play with the very, very best in the world. So, unfortunately, I, I can see but it do happening. You, if you were his advisor, what would you say? Surely it's better for him to stay with a coach who really seems to understand him well. and What, not go and play in Champions League finals? But he's still young. He doesn't need to go now. You can't. Football doesn't last forever, Alison. It's a very, very, very short career. And you, you can't. It's, there's a lot of people that say, oh, I'm not ready. I'll wait and I'll wait and I'll wait. And, and I think he should. I, I think it is too early for him now. You know, he's still very, very young. But I think you, when he finishes football, he has to look back thinking, no regrets. And, you know, I'm sure Gareth Bale doesn't regret leaving Tottenham to go to Real Madrid at all. He, he, you have to try and get to the very, very top. That's a challenge. And, you know, you have to say Real Madrid will, will always be an appeal for him. Julian, what's the point of Vincent Janssen? I'm not really sure. I, I mean, try. Yeah, I'll try. I'll try. try. First, I, first, I was, I was watching the Monaco Spurs game, a game that they couldn't lose in the Champions League. To, to you know, to, to still hoping to qualify. Vincent Janssen came on, and they're putting a bit of pressure towards the end. Although Monaco were always the best side, but there's that, there's that moment where he gets the ball. And he's back to the Monaco goal, which is perfect because that's what he's really good at. The only thing we've seen him being good at is holding the ball up and then having the whole team, 
you know, waiting for the whole team then to go up. That's what he's good at. He's, he's, he's you know, his play back to goal, his linker play that he's good at because he's so strong. So he gets the ball, he puts it down, he holds it up, and then you think, okay, he's going to hold it up and then gives it to Ali or gives it to Ken or Ericsson and then everybody's going to move up and maybe they're going to create something. There's maybe just 10 minutes to go. He turns round and tries a half volley from 35 yards. The ball goes in row Z or something at the Stalwider that was em- not empty, but we, you know, as we know, not many people there. And I'm thinking like, so I don't even question just the ability. I question his intelligence as well on the pitch. Why would you do that at that moment where you know how important this game is and you're 2-1 down and there's only 10 minutes to go or something? So I, I just wonder if he gets it. And I thought on Saturday, on Sunday against Villa, I, I, again, I had the same feeling that he didn't get it. He didn't know where to be. He didn't know what to do. He was not, apart from, again, that Lincoln play that he's quite good at. The rest, he had no clue, I thought. And unless... Pochettino can make him cleverer in his movement and his decision making and and on the ball and off the ball as well. I think he would always struggle in this league and it's good enough for for the Dutch league where James Cockcroft would have scored 50 goals in a season but in a league like this I don't know I just I don't think he gets it that's the thing. Oli is it is this a rare mistake by Pochettino did he just did he just buy the wrong player? Um I think he wants to buy somebody who who fitted a certain profile where where he could play up with Kane where necessary and and understudy Kane. I think that's that's probably quite a, you know, it's probably not easy to to buy somebody for that for that sort of quite that that, that role or those two roles that, that, that ticks those boxes. I think when, when I saw him at the start of the season, I thought you know he's got you know his feet are good, he's reasonably good technically, he's, he's Quick enough. He's, he's he looks you know, physically good. He looked intelligent, um, and I just think looking at him as the season has, go, go, has gone on, I think he looks lower and lower in confidence. We talked about Giroud and his confidence earlier. Janssen looks to me like a guy who who is feeling the weight of that you know that transfer fee, seventeen million pounds, and he's also a guy who's, he, he, he came from nowhere almost you know to. to Alkmaar last season, he'd been at um, Almeray, is it? Oh, I don't know how you say it, Almeray in, um, in Holland, just outside of Amsterdam, and it, it, it went to Aizel Alkmaar and was a sensation. And now he's stepped up again, and it's probably, I don't know, it's probably come all a bit too quickly for him. And I, and I, I do have some sympathy with him, because I think there is a, a decent player there waiting to get out. What, you're, what you're saying, Ollie, is that Vincent Janssen is the painting in Oliver Giroud's attic. That's beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Finally, on this, uh, James, do you think do you think Villa looks like they're capable of becoming a great club again? Not on yesterday's show, and no, I think it's going to be a long path back for Aston Villa. I think they might even struggle to get out of the Championship this year, and it will get harder and harder for them. And so to our debate. Three clubs have pressed the panic button. Hull have appointed Marco Silva, Swansea have turned to Paul Clement and Palace started it all off by turning to Sam Allardyce. Hull prop up the table, but they are in the semi-final of the EFL Cup and they beat Swansea in the FA Cup. So are they really the club most deeply mired in trouble? Ollie, you addressed Hull's woes in your column could you sum up for us what's going on up East Riding Way and why fewer than 7,000 were there for Hull's third round tie? Yeah, well, if you look, if you look across the board, there were some poor crowds on, on 
Saturday in the FA Cup, uh, you know, Bolton and Watford and, and elsewhere, but the uh, Sunderland. Um, but uh, the situation at Hull, there was a boycott against against the owners, the Alam family, who have just, I mean, I, I thought they came in a few years ago and seemed to be doing all the right things and, and you know, the, the big local link between Dr. Alam and, and, and the city where he studied at the university, done lots of good things locally and got them promoted and then there's this, this sort of ludicrous, tacky sort of thing where he wanted to rebrand the club Whole Tigers, which he said was all about commercial, um, you know, commercial attraction and power in Asia, but which also just happened to be at a time when he was in dispute with Hull City Council um, uh, over the revenue streams at the stadium, and, and um, so it um, it seemed to be it seemed to be more a sort of petty grudge type of of, of thing where he wanted to change the club's name and, and not just the idea of that, but more the way the club went about uh, you know uh, the owners went about it. That's what really upset Hull's fans and. You know, there was resistance and, and he was very rude and I thought um, unpleasant and condescending about, about the protests, which I thought the protests were entirely valid. Um, and then since then, there's just, you know, the, the relationship between owners and fans has just got worse and worse. And, you know, the changes to ticket, ticketing strategy where, where there's no concessions, it's all, all adult prices and that kind of thing. And that, you know, in an area like Hull, where, where, you know, which is, uh, it's got the UK City of Culture thing there, but you know, it's, it's not it's not a city which thrives financially. A lot, a lot of people struggle to afford to, to, to get to games, and it's it, the way the owners have, have pushed the fans away is um, is so terribly misjudged. And I, I, I actually like to see fans voting with their feet um, when times are tough, and it, it was. I, Fully in favour of that boycott on on Saturday. It's, it's good to see that. So good to see so many empty seats, which uh, might sound perverse. But so okay, we've got a club where there is a split between the board and the fans, James. I mean that that's one problem, but the separate problem is they just don't have enough. There seems to be transfer nothingness going on. There's a vacuum going on. They never bought enough players when they were promoted, and they're struggling and yet and yet this could be a, this could be an amazing season they could escape relegation they could win a they could win a trophy they could do but doing and uh saying and doing are two different things steve bruce left for a reason in the summer didn't he i think he knew what was coming and, and saw the bigger picture i think mike Phelan did a decent job to be fair to him and i think you could just see his body language in his last few weeks he'd, he'd almost resigned himself uh, it looks like the owners now have given up. They're not investing in the in the club at all. The the, the squad they've got is is not good enough for for numerous reasons. I don't think it's enough depth they've got. Really, they rely on too many sort of key players. Really, so unless there's an influx of uh, players coming in in January, which I just cannot see at all. The writing's on the wall. Of whoever you have as manager. So is do you do you agree, Julian? Are holders the club in most? crisis yeah, in the Premier League I have to say, yeah maybe and despite everything we've said I actually like the fact that they went for Marco Silva I, I, I was expecting again because you're so good at it in England of like I don't know having an Alan Pardew a Hurl or that uh, how do you say merry-go-round of managers yeah, yeah. where you appoint someone who's just the been French? sacked what's the French for merry-go-round well, we don't have it because oh, maybe okay. we don't have merry-go-rounds in France I, I don't know what we say like manage depressing. or something Jeff Candy Floss 
We have uh, but you have big dippers. Candy floss is Baba Papa, which is amazing. Oh, that's which nice. is like daddy's beard. <laughs> But no, but you know what I mean. Every time you like the the contenders for a job, like the one I heard, are always the same, and the odds are always the same. And Parju is there, and Roy Hodgson is there, or whoever, and and Ryan Giggs' name is always there. And, and and I like the fact that they thought a bit out of the box. It might not work. It might work as well. It might not work. But Marco Silva is a really good manager. He did great job, at, you know, at Sporting and at Olympiacos. And I know he's got no experience of the Premier League, but we also have to stop with, you know, he's got no experience of the Premier League. He's going to be a failure. Arsene Wenger had no knowledge of the Premier League. And I know it was a different era, but still, he did very well. And, and Jose Mourinho had no experience of the Premier League either when he first arrived. So I, I like the fact that, they, yes, they have loads of problems and loads of issues and, and whatever. But I, at least I like the, the guy they picked. How, but... How would Silver keep them up? What would he? How would he do? I think how he's, would he, he's is very he, is he going to somebody else can't. I'm, going, I'm intrigued to know. No, no, I think tactically he's a very good manager in terms of experience, for and, example. And English managers aren't. No, no. Well, I think tactically there's a lot of issues with English managers and the formation of English coaches in England tactically. And I think someone, for example, who's managing Champions League, that's a valuable experience. Um, what in a relegation battle? Yeah, but well, you have you you've already had to be in a relegation battle in England. There's, to there's win. many different qualities to, to being a manager. Tactically astute is certainly yeah. one of them. Man management skills is probably the the biggest corner of of, of being a, a manager, and it goes on knowing players to recruit. Having a, is is high, certainly high on. So if you're whole, basically you got you've got to look at an eighteen month plan that there is seventy thirty chance on that you're going to go get relegated yeah. you're going to go into the championship and you need stability you, you somehow need to to sort of keep everyone together to try and build because if not you'll just fall like a stone you, you'll you'll yeah. be because what will happen is another manager will move on they'll appoint somebody else who, who doesn't know the championship similar to the Aston Villa scenario so in a year's time you'll be in the bottom half of the championship and you'll be in a muddle you, you'll think we, well, we've I got, can we've give got you big as many examples here. of the, did did Aito Karanka knew the championship? No, did he go up? Yes. So we're like, why would Marcus yeah, Silva not do he, a good he job? Had a, he had a stable club that financially yeah. was yeah, in a very very good position. I, I I don't understand this culture that a lot of people in England have of. Well, you, you, uh, no, you, you can't like, say you can't say it's over. No, no, but it's every, overstocked with English managers. It, no, 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 but that's not the point. It's like because he's not English. I, because I cannot he doesn't see have another English manager getting a top four, top six club. Now, I, no, I, no, 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 I but that's not the point. We're talking about Hurl and Marco Silva. We're not talking about top top four, top six Premier League clubs. Why would Marco Silva be already judged as a failure when he, the guy's just arrived? Because he's not English, because he's never managed in the Championship or the Premier League before, because he's never been in a relegation battle with an English club, why would that make him the wrong choice or or a failure already? Well, it certainly and like makes, it, it makes him a risk, up. doesn't it? It's a risk. If more, you don't have knowledge, knowledge, if you don't have knowledge of what you're trying to do, it's a risk. If you have no, yeah, if but you, you have no experience of that particular fight, it's a risk. One one thing that you was asked about on. Um, I went to the press conference. He's asked, you know, are you, 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 you've got rid of the, um, you know, the, the the British coaching staff there, and are you going to get somebody else in? Wouldn't it be a mistake not to? And he said, yes, I, I, I hope to get somebody in next week. But I do think there's, you know, sometimes when when a foreign manager comes in, and and Ancelotti always does it. He always has an English assistant alongside him, and um, you know, Mourinho's done it at times, but not not, not at United. But he's he, 
it, it's always it helps if, if there's somebody around in, on that coaching staff who could say, look, you, you might not know this about about Swansea, but, but or, or, or whoever, or Crystal Palace, or whoever to play. It's I, I think it is much more of a risk. Probably the probably the potential upside is higher than if you get apologies potentially if he gets it right but I think there's probably a greater risk that it goes wrong if you get um, a Marco Silva or you know we can talk about Pochettino being an example of what it, where it went really right when Southampton did that it wasn't a popular appointment at the time but Southampton's board at least um, was known as having good football knowledge and the whole city board isn't known for having good football knowledge so they're reliant on somebody like George Mendes pushing his clients George Mendes seems to be the one who um, gains out of this because, um, because to me, it's a risk, not just as far as Hull are concerned, but as far as Silva is concerned. He's, he's meant to be one of the best young coaches in, in Europe and he's being pushed into a situation which probably doesn't really suit him. He wanted to work, work in the Premier League, but you can look at back at people like Remy Gard and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer who were hyped as really good young managers across Europe who get one Premier League job, struggle, uh, go down and are never heard of again almost. Oli, if, if you were a manager and you got a job in Spain, would you sack the whole of the Spanish coaching staff that you have at the club and appoint everyone who's English? No, no, it would be, be a big mistake. Big, big, big mistake. But then Paul Clement didn't keep Alan Curtis, so it's just... It's, but Paul Clement is yeah. clearly trying to remind people that he's not foreign. Yeah, yeah, no, but maybe, but I think I think it's it's easy for us to say, hey, oh, he should have kept. But you know, there's different feelings for them arriving. Maybe maybe the the English guys on on that staff at Hull didn't want him as a manager and didn't want to stay either. I think there's a lot of things we don't know. Why is Curtis not staying at Swansea and Paul Clement offering him a job as like you look after the loanies, which is mm-hmm. the weirdest job title I've ever heard of. So I think you know it's different. I would have I would have been certain that Paul Clement would have kept Curtis at Swansea on the staff and and. I would say that it's a mistake for not having kept him, but but I don't know. Maybe they they, they see they see things differently. I don't know. Finally, mm. round the table, round the table. Then do you, do we all see Hull finishing bottom? Julian, you sound like you might <laughs> not necessarily. Who's no, going to okay? Said, who's going to finish below? No, Hull I just then? said I, I just said Marco Silva need, needs a fair. Well, I think he needs a fair chance, like a fair go at it. That's all. Before we all judge and saying, "Oh, he's not good enough," or "Oh, is this or is that." Let's let's just well, see what he don't does. Blaming him, you know. Good luck to the chap. You know, no, no, I know what I mean. But... Him. I just, I think how we're in this before the season started. I, I think if you look at clubs, Swansea certainly didn't expect to be here. Sunderland hoped they wouldn't. Palace certainly didn't expect to be to where they are. So if you look at probably those three clubs are in a, a bigger crisis than than what Hull are. I think Hull. Are, it's almost got one foot in the Who championship. Who will finish below Hull at the end of the season, James? Uh, the team that finished top of the championship. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ollie. Who will finish below Hull? Anyone? I would. I would say Hull would be the um, favourite to finish twentieth, if I can put it that way. But it's. It's. I. I, I don't. I mean, I, to me, it looks like an upgrade replacing Phelan with Silver, but it's a risk, and I also. Repeat, it's a big risk for him because because of his career. I, I, I just think that that looked like a uh, uh, a disinterested but desperate board being advised by an agent to 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 take a certain you know a certain coach who's clearly a really good coach, but this might not be the ideal challenge for him. So um, he's not going to have much money to spend in the transfer window. He's already got a fight to keep on the Snodgrass. Um, the fans 
are unhappy and, as I said, justifiably so. The dressing room is, is unhappy. They've got picked seven points from 18 games, is it, since the since the winning those first two matches of the season. Um, it's a big, big job. But if he if he if he um, gets them out of it, I'm, I'm sure the next step will be a will be a bigger, better, more stable Premier League club than, than Hull. Time for quick hits. The um, clues in the name. Uh, we want very quick answers. When Gab's in the chair, he uses gadgetry to let the um, panelists know it's time to stop. I'm not going to Bullies do people. that. I'm not. I'm not a bully. I'm just going to cough when you've gone on too long. So keep them brief, guys. Wayne Rooney has now scored 249 goals in 543 games for United, bringing him level with Sir Bobby Charlton's record. James, how impressed are you and how long has he got left at Old Trafford? Um, extremely impressed, I think, to become England's leading goalscorer and Manchester United's leading goalscorer, which he will do very, very soon, has to be one of the the great football achievements it has to be you know if you look at him he hasn't got forever left at Old Trafford um, you know he's slowly being phased out which I think people can see but it, it's a phenomenal achievement Brighton are through to the fourth round of the FA Cup and they lead the championship it's time we saw Chris Hewton's side in the Premier League isn't it Ollie? Yeah it is and uh, you know they've um, they've been building They've come close a few times over, over recent seasons. They're a good team. 18 matches unbeaten in the Championship. Chris Hewitt knows what he's doing. They've invested soundly. Got good young players, good experienced players. And yes, I think they'll come up and um, it will be very welcome when they do. And they were one of those teams who made wholesale, wholesale changes and still won their cup tie. Mm. Pep Guardiola goes all humble after being sniffy about criticism of his team and his methods. Julien, was the 5-0 thrashing of West Ham in the Cup a turning point for the perfectionist? I think nothing is ever good enough for Pep and, and certainly Friday w- wouldn't be or wouldn't have been good enough. But it was it was better, I thought. The, the, um, the North Vite on goal was such an incredible move, I thought, both... You know, on the ball, off the ball from from City. That that's that's what they can do, and that's why they will do more and more. And I think we see a much better City team in the second part of the season. But surely Pep will have something to say about even a five 0 win. Mm-hmm. Antonio Conte was given grief via the phone-ins for the defeat to Spurs that ended the endless winning streak. They won in the cup, though, so crisis averted, James. It's very very harsh, isn't it, to, to say they're in crisis? I think he's a victim. Of I was his being own. sarcastic. Were you? Um, it's very harsh being sarcastic. I think um, <laughs> I think he's been a victim of his own success, and it's such a great run. They, they, to be fair, they didn't turn up against Spurs. You know, Tottenham were, were thoroughly deserved their. Uh, thing. Everything's great for them, really, isn't it? Top of the league in the next round of the cup. Still with Chelsea, Ollie Nathan Aki has been recalled from his loan spell with Bournemouth, but. Will he start for Conte? And if so, who will miss out? Uh, he will start some matches. He'll be he'll be cover for, for one thing. Um, I mean, it, particularly for Gary Cahill on the left-hand side of that back three, I would think. I, I think um, that's the obvious position for him to cover. And you look at Chelsea so far, they've had no real injuries at the back. Cahill, Luiz and Aspinacuata have, have, have played together throughout that run, pretty much. For the moment, um, Louis arrived at, at the end of August, and um, they they just need more depth to their squad, I think, because they, you know, it's not one of those seasons where they've got a, a terribly strong bench. You know, they've got some players, but perhaps not enough depth to withstand an injury crisis. And um, 
another thing I'd say is, OK, really good player and Bournemouth will miss him. Jose Mourinho supports the FIFA proposal to expand the World Cup to, wait for it, 48, <laughs> yes, 48 countries. But does Julian Laurent? I don't. I don't think it's a very good idea at all. And when you look at it, they won 16 groups of three countries in the World Cup, which I don't even know what letter that would be. Like, <laughs> would you be playing Group R or something like that? It's just ridiculous. I, I don't think it would work. Maybe go up to 36, 40 maybe, but not, you can't, surely can't go above 40 teams. It would be stupid. My God, I haven't had to cough once. This is incredible. Alison, I've got one for you as you're in the, in the hot seat today. So you get the special one. You went to Nonlink Sutton on Saturday. Why did you go there? Well, because I didn't want to go to PSG or anywhere ah, like that. So I went in search. I went in search of the real romance of the FA Cup, <laughs> and uh, I did find it. It was nil-nil Sutton v AFC Wimbledon, but there were so many subplots to this match. Um, not least the fact. Wimbledon are just down the road from Sutton and I don't think I will ever I have ever been or will ever go again to a, a derby it's a true derby they're separated by a couple of miles that um, was as friendly as that and it was a club Sutton are a club just run by volunteers a manager pays to manage them he paid for the pitch um, yeah. and the vibe is I just played at Gardner Green Lane is it? Gander Green Gander Lane Gander Green Lane and? Or on the 3G pitch? No, before oh, it was 3G. Okay. Well, now they've got a 3G pitch, mm. which means they're sort of stuck in this twilight zone of football because they can't get promoted to the league because they'd have to dig up the pitch. And no, they can't dig up the pitch because the pitch pays for everything. Yeah, but to be fair, they've done well because when I played, it was in Step 3, Ryman Premier League, and they've now gone up two divisions. Um, but so they can't go any further. No, but to go further is a big, big, big... Yes, yeah, it's, big it's a massive jump. You know, you're going into a football league then, and so... I, I, I think they're a long, long way off that, but they're a good but club. But it was, it was a beautiful occasion and um, good game. It, it, it was nil nil, and yet it was, it was, it really was a good game. There was some, there was some nice, thoughtful football. That Rory Deacon looks, looks a decent player. They have a lot. They have a lot. Yeah. They have a lot. And they're, but they're, they're there. They get good players in because they tell them we'll just make you a little bit better, and then we'll let you go whenever you want to go, and we'll we'll advertise you if necessary. So it's a good stepping stone for young players. Thank you, everybody. God, that sounded very polite and school marmy, didn't it? Oh, jeez. Somebody, somebody did actually write in and say, I sound like a, a headmistress. I must stop that. Um, so, that's all, folks. Many thanks to my guests today, Julian Neron, Ollie Kay and James Scowcroft. Remember, just search The Times online for a £12, 12-week trial for all the wonderful Times content. And please post a review on iTunes if you're listening to us on an Apple device and do tell Gab how much you missed it. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone.